2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum. Stay on target. Maximum. Read Rothbard. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and anarcho-capitalist perspective. This is our Father's Day special. And we're going to be talking about The Incredibles, which has a very strong father figure. And this is episode 81 of the Actual Anarchy podcast. You can find the show notes and more at slash 81. And uh, let's see if we can catch Robert monologuing on this one. How you doing, sir? Hey, everybody. I'm back. We're going to do another episode. One of my favorite Pixar movies of all time, Los Incredibles. I knew you'd throw the Spanish out there. That's uh, that's pretty dope, man. I, I, I had like the mind meld going with you there. Did you do that to me? Is that what, that what just happened? You sent me your brain? Rude. NAP violation. I know. The brainwave, like, that's my special power, actually. Oh, snaps. Yeah, so speaking of I special... you were incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, man, I digress. So this is uh, this is our show. We're, we're back at it again. We did Planet of the Apes last week, and I got to tell you guys, I don't know if you noticed, but we felt a little bit off our game. So we summoned our eagle powers, and we are going to hit it hard this week, and this is going to be an incredible show oh god <laughs> setting us up for failure and the puns at the same time i apologize oh yeah. don't expect too much out of this one although i think it'll be a fun show it's a fun movie and we've got some things to say so it should be good all right and before we get into the normie friendly version the last nighters version of the show which our audience who are anarchists can share with their normie type friendly friends uh that will be episode 24 so that'll be at lastnighters.com slash 24 but before we get into that i wanted to tell you guys that uh I just got an air conditioner in my office, and it's it's blowing air right now, and apparently Robert can't hear it. So hopefully that the recording's clean, Bob. Uh, You're getting blown right now, and it's clean. And it's, it's actually a, 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 like a smaller unit, so it's more you know at the right height, if you will. Phrasing. Phrasing. Okay. Um, but I, I wanted to tell you that I had originally purchased a different air conditioning unit, and because my office has been constructed not to regulations if you will. Uh, the amount of space between the studs is not the expected amount of space. So that one didn't work in my office. So I had to buy a, a different unit. And that one has uh, this more tapered like exhaust. Um, but even in, in putting this one in, I still had to like use pliers and drill bits and whatnot to chip away <laughs> at the uh, at the wall and at one of the two by fours one of the studs to get it to fit so it is totally cowboyed in there like like trailer park boys style you muscle it in there bro 
Is that what you did, bro? I muscled it in there. It. And it actually looks pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm quite impressed if I so say so. If I say so myself. So anyway, I wanted to share that with, with our audience. And uh, this is the type of stuff that we talk about on the Actual Energy Podcast. And our Patreon supporting audience gets even more. But wait, there's more. So if you want a piece of that action, hit us up at actualanarchy.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash Reed Rothbard or readrothbard.com slash Patreon. So that aside... So as, as Daniel enjoys the plunder of the oppressive system known as capitalism, we can uh, move on and do the show. It'll be a good one. Join us. Resistance is futile. Hey everyone, it's Daniel and Robert, the Last Nighters, and we're going to be doing a Father's Day special about a fatherly movie, The Incredibles. And the other uh, brilliant thing about this is Incredibles 2 is out in theaters right now and breaking all sorts of records. So super good times. Uh, again, this is The Last Nighters, episode 24, so you can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 24. Uh, let's say hello to Robert, then we will get into the Google description and start digging into this movie. Yeah, hello, everybody. Uh, Daniel, before we get started, I was, had a question for you. Uh, I heard a couple, or at least I saw a couple articles mentioning that this movie is doing really well out of nostalgia in what it's been like 15 years since the original. Is that is that long enough? I think, I guess so. Yeah, that's kind of a, a strange question, right? Like, because nostalgia for me is older than that. But yeah, if you think back, you know, if you were a kid when the first one came out and now you're, you know, a millennial mid-20s living in your mom's basement getting kicked out, going to a court case to get evicted, and then you're still fighting it, and then you go on CNN or something and say you're a libertarian uh, because you like weed and Gary Johnson, then, you know, it sort of makes sense. You could be nostalgic based on that. Only under those set of circumstances, but yeah. Simultaneously, I might add. Right. No, not any one of those. <laughs> no, no. It has to be the total package or else you fail. But yeah, so it is kind of interesting. And, and another uh, element of that, and I, I haven't seen Incredibles 2 yet, but um, we might. It's it's my wife and my anniversary, and we got the two kids, and we're going to do a date night, and we're going to go to a movie, and they watched this one with me um, in preparation for the show, which is um, lastnighters.com slash 24. And so we're going to watch Incredibles 2 in a, in a couple of days from now for anniversary celebrations. Well, I'm curious to know if you're excited. I mean, you, you must have enjoyed the first one then, if you, uh, you're tagging and bringing along the entire brood with you to go see the second one. Or is this just a date night movie with just, just the adults? So we're the type of parents who don't trust anyone with our kids. So if we want a date night, it's date night Nazis. with with the kids. So that's that's how it's going to be. And it's going to be, you know, matinee style. And then we're going to do <laughs> dinner after, come home, and it's going to be bedtime. All right. Anyway, just sharing some personal information that uh, we don't normally share on The Last Nighters. But, you know, you guys can get to know us a little bit. Sure, why not, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're humans, too. Beat Borp. Well, you did claim last time that I had a, uh, my voice was similar to a virtual assistant and you called The me... new connection, the way we're recording the show now, the sound of your voice is so clear compared to the garbly pile of garbage that it used to be that, yeah, you sound like some sort of a digital assistant Siri type version of that. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, what the fuck was I talking about? Oh, yes. The Incredibles. Came out in uh, 2004, action adventure, one hour, 56 minutes, eight out of 10 on the IMDb, 97% Rotten Tomatoes, 90% Metacritic, 94% Google users. And here is the description. 
In this lauded Pixar animated film, married superheroes Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl are forced to assume mundane lives as Bob and Helen Parr after all superpowered activities have been banned by the government. While Mr. Incredible loves his wife and kids, he longs to return to a life of adventure, and he gets a chance when summoned to an island to battle an out-of-control robot. Soon, Mr. Incredible is in trouble, and it's up to his family to save him. Came out November 5th, 2004. Director Brad Bird. This is the film he did after The Iron Giant, which was also a, a, a very good film, but it was a box office disappointment. This one was not. Your thoughts, Robert? Well, for those anybody who doesn't know, I'm sure people do know this, but this is essentially Brad Bird's love letter to superheroes, especially specifically like the Fantastic Four. Um, this is easily the best Fantastic Four movie ever made, even though it doesn't star any of the members. But you've got Mr. Incredible, who you could say is the thing. You've got Elastigirl, who is Mr. Fantastic. you got Violet, who is the Invisible Girl. And the only real swap is the Human Torch for Dash, as opposed to a guy that can fly around shooting flames. you got a guy, little kid that can run fast. But... This is the kind of movie that comic book fans always wanted out of, say, like the X-Men films or then we got later on with the Avengers. But I would say that this movie is even tighter in terms of a team where the where the the different heroes are like working together cohesively to like, you know, Elastigirl will stretch her body to do a thing like setting up. Mr. Incredible to come along and punch the guy or, you know, that sort of thing. Like their, their powers will kind of conform and combine and they'll work together as a cohesive team to accomplish a goal instead of just like, you know, the Hulk punches this guy and then Captain American punches this guy. It's a little bit different and it's, it's, it's more of a, I don't know, it's just a more of a, the kind of the thing that you used to see in the comic books where the people would set each other up and work together and it really came together in this film. And uh, I don't know if it's even been surpassed since in terms of a comic book movie with that sort of a dynamic. I mean, it also works really well on the other level of parents and children. I think pretty much as a parent, you're going to get a lot out of this movie. As a child, you're going to get a ton out of it. Uh, this movie is just working on so many different levels on all cylinders that uh, it's not surprising that it did so well at the box office. Oh, my goodness. We caught you monologuing. I can't <laughs> believe it. <laughs> So I, I got to say, I love the casting in this. Uh, Craig T. Nelson's great. Holly Hunter's great. Jason Lee, love that guy. Loved him ever since Mallrats. Um, that was one of my nostalgic films from my um, you know late adolescence, uh, young adulthood. Uh, 1995 Mallrats, Kevin Smith film. But yeah, a lot how of about how about Sam Jackson as Frozone? I uh, yeah yeah, not not as strong though in this one. He's just he's more of a he's there, but he's not like. A big focus point, you know what I mean? Sure. No, I, I think it, for my money, Holly Hunter as Elastigirl is the standout. I thought she put such a level of emotional timber to her voice and really allowed me to connect with that character. Not that everybody didn't do a great job. And I would say that the story is more about Bob Parr, but I think uh, Elastigirl really shines. Yeah, and you mentioned the family stuff. And as I have a young family... I see that kind of stuff happening like all the time. Like when, when all these little things were shown in the film, and I think Brad Bird, he said when he wrote the film that he was just taking things that happen in families and then putting it into a story. I mean, my kids fight like that. I mean, not like force fields and running real fast. And my wife, although they have, would if they could. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's all the little things that, I mean, it's like the, um, I don't want to say adult humor because <clears throat> it's not like dirty or anything, but it's like, it's a kid's movie that has adult appreciation in it, you know? Like, the adults will see these things and get, a, like, a, a nod, and a subtle nod, wink and a nod, and be like, oh, yep, yep, 
totally happens. Yep, I get that. <laughs> yep. And the struggles and the trials of being a parent. Absolutely. Yeah, so a, a well-done movie, just even from that perspective, and I think you're right, it is um, a, a, a good superhero movie. Um, and, it had, and it has a couple of, like, really interesting questions, and I think several of them have been played off in other franchises. But my first question to you, Robert, mm. is... Yeah. Capes, good or bad? You got Superman, <laughs> Batman, Thor, etc., all wearing capes. And well, the movie... only one, yeah. I mean, in the in the movie, Edna, she shows some examples of people dying from their capes. I would have to say that Superman would never. I mean, if he flew through a jet engine, it would be the jet engine that was destroyed, not him, or the rocket. I mean, he would have no problem getting sucked into a tornado or a twister or anything like that i mean none of those things would bother him but and then there's you know batman who is like way too smart to get caught with all that stuff so but yeah there are probably some i mean i appreciated the nod to the fact that there's no capes um but i i gotta say as a uh as an illustrator type guy you you gotta have some fun with the way things look like i mean if you look at the way capes have evolved from the 20s when the comic book really started taking off in the 20s and the 30s mostly in the 30s but um the capes were very basic and there's just you know a rectangle behind the guy for the most part but then when you get into the 80s and the 90s especially in the 90s with todd mcfarlane and spawn where capes reached peak cape where there's so many different shapes and stylistically cool things whipping around and doing other things um and then it's you know come back but yeah, it's fun because there's never been any kind of, as far as I know, in the comic books, it's never been explained or it never been explored, um, like the bad things that could happen through capes. And that's why the joke really, really works in this movie. Yeah, I agree. And my, my question is, if I were interviewing Brad Bird and questioning him about why, why so down on the capes? And I'd do the Kathy Newman. I'd be like, so what you're saying is <laughs> that you hate strong, intelligent white men. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I digress. But um, the the next thing I wanted to bring up was the very opening scenes where you have young Incredible and young Elastigirl being interviewed. And there were a couple of points I wanted to make here. One is Incredible is like, you know, I enjoy saving the world, but why can't it just stay saved? I feel like a maid, you know, going up and cleaning up messes all the time. And I thought that the point that we could be making here is that it's just a... a, a factor of human desire and, and change is ever present. You know, change is constant and human desire is never satisfied. So certain services and certain goods and certain things are always going to be in demand uh, no matter what. And so that's just kind of like a little t minor economic point I want to throw in there. And then um, Elastigirl was saying, save leaving the, or leave saving the world to men? Like, ha, you know, so I thought that was like a, a bit of a feminist bullshit uh, bullet point. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, the the saving the world to men, it could have been, I think you can take it, especially in today's kind of PC culture, as a more of a feminist bullet point type thing. Um, luckily, she doesn't turn and fall into some sort of a feminist type stereotype. Um, she turns more into a domestic mom that has kids to take care of, and she's got her priorities straight. And, you know, maybe Bob doesn't. And that's really, you know, comes at the heart of the plot of the story. Um, in terms of the saving the world and then letting it, you know, keeping it stay saved, that's always bugged me about the Batman character because Batman, his goal is to like clean up Gotham. And he's a really smart guy. And the smartest thing he can come up with is catch the bad guys and lock them up as if new criminals aren't made every day, as long as there are these 
BS laws that destroy economic opportunity and criminalize things that shouldn't be criminalized. You would think that Batman at some point would put two and two together and realize that he has an endless job ahead of him if that's his if that's his solution is to continually lock up. I mean, it's not like there haven't been cops for hundreds and hundreds of years and there are still cops. You're not getting at the root cause of the problem. Right. In Batman's And like you said, it's, well, hang on. And like you said, there are also economic factors and human desires that are constantly changing. And so even if you're in some kind of libertarian free society, there will still be crime. But go ahead. What were you going to say? In Batman's defense. In Batman's defense, I think that the people that he's wanting to put behind bars are one of two, like violent, mugging, killing people who killed his parents, or these uh, Joker, Penguin, Riddler types who have nefarious plots that are, um, you know, way too intricate, and they get caught monologuing, and he gets out of whatever contraption they put him in, like James Bond style, and uh, he's able to escape. So I think that those types of criminals, violent criminals, nefarious masterminds who want to poison water supplies and things like that, uh, yeah, they need to be dealt with in in some fashion. And whether it be uh, like the present day where it's like imprisonment or some other like Ancapistani type solution, I think that that would be appropriate. I don't see Batman really going after your, you know, drug dealers, drug users, people who have committed some felony, like everyone commits, what, three or five felonies a day, I think now, uh, because there's so many laws on the books. So he's not going after those types of po- of, of people. So just, I wanted to throw Allow that me. in defense. <clears throat> Allow me to rebut, sir. <laughs> Allow me to retort. <laughs> throw the same. Yeah, Jackson famously, Batman does not. Famously, like in the movies, there's no Batman movie where he's taken down a drug dealer. But... You are not a comic book reader. And there are countless comic book issues where he's dealing with street level crime, where he's dealing with muggers, where he's dealing with drug dealers, where he's dealing with arms dealers or gun sellers or any number of sort of thing like that. And still, even if you need to imprison, you know, your best solution, let's say the the market's best solution to dealing with the Joker is to put him behind bars. Fine. But you're still not dealing a very smart highly wealthy individual, influential man, still you're not dealing with the next Joker. You're not you're not working to create a world where the next Joker won't be a thing. Well, because he's not to obviously say that, a capitalist exploiter, bourgeois asshole who doesn't know any better and will only continue to exploit and underpay his workers. <laughs> <laughs> the iron law of wages to their subsistence level. To, and, and then even below that to where they can't survive. Okay, Carl. <laughs> You're out of your element. All right. So speaking of cops, the opening chase scene, the cops are chasing uh, some criminals and the criminals are shooting at them. And the cops are just shooting in public, like blindly. Did that seem inappropriate to you? It seemed a little inappropriate to me. Well, it seemed realistic. What do you mean inappropriate? Well, you know, you'd think that you'd have to make sure that you're not going to shoot some innocent party. <laughs> <laughs> do you live in this world i don't know what what what, li- what fantasy land are you living in where the cops consider who they might shoot not to disparage all cops as being just like mindless sprayers and prayers but 
I mean, there was recently a story where some FBI agent was dancing and picked up his gun and shot a guy. Didn't mean to, but you're not you're not dealing with people who observe all the safety rules of firearms. I mean, rule number one is don't point anything at something you don't intend to destroy. They point guns at people all the time. They point guns at unarmed people all the time. Yeah, and speaking of that incident, um, I, I saw the video and the guy picking it up, he was clearly drunk, but I would think that in the you know proper training that he should have received, you never touch the trigger until you have acquired the target that you are willing to destroy. So that was just a totally fuck up move. And then he just shrugs his shoulders like, oh, my bad. Sorry. And sort of like dances off. Are you asking me to defend him? Because I'm not going to. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get into um, after this cop chase and uh, Mr. Incredible saves the day, saves the cat, etc. And he's like, on the on the way to his wedding, though we don't know it at the time, but he he gets into a uh, a fight with another guy, and then Elastigirl comes and punches him in the face, the uh, criminal, and they get into a little tit for tat. Like I thought, it was, what happened to ladies first? And he's like, what happened to equal treatment? And I thought that was a great dichotomy because it in today's world, you know, 15 years later, it's like those two opposing things they want both at the same time, but they're separate, they're different. Do you follow what I'm saying? I do. There's been a different, definitely, a, I think a, there are a couple of been um, articles written about how chivalry is really bad and evil and dumb and whatever. And it's like, what do you want? <laughs> and, you know, at that point, it's it's gotten to the point where it's so ridiculous that it seems to me that there's always going to be a certain part of the population that will never be happy, uh, no matter what anything anyone ever does. So there's really no sense in spending a whole lot of energy trying to please them or apologize to them. And so you kind of just have to wave your hand away at them and just as a pack of crazies. I don't know. So it's definitely a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Like there is no win. Oh, certainly not. Yeah, it's like the the SJWs who complain that, you know, all the, the black people in Black Panther weren't trans or fat or you know non-binary or whatever or disabled or you know it's just it's never good enough no matter what i mean if there's a a lesbian character on the show it's well yeah but she was white and skinny it's like you know (laughs) you you can't you can't please anybody it's always the oppression olympics with them so why even try you're just you're you're, and then and then you look foolish doing it if you're just trying to appease them and then it's you can be accused of tokenism. So why even bother? You're you're trying to appease a tiny little vocal minority of people who are insane. So let them be insane. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, here here. Got you monologuing again. Uh, Aha. <clears throat> Aha. All right, so here's a juicy question. Mm. So right after all of this, the Events transpire to where Incredible saves a man from committing suicide. And then in, in the resulting action afterward, um, you know, the Incredible Boy gets introduced and he's all into Mr. Incredible. He wants to be just like him. And he's like a inventor of sorts. So he's an entrepreneur and he ends up becoming an arms dealer. And he thinks that respect comes from being a threat. And he uh, we'll get into him in a little bit. Uh, but that's the Jason Lee character. But the suicide guy I wanted to bring up because this is an interesting question. This is a guy who jumped off a building and wanted to die. Is it a violation of his choice or his person or a property crime against him by saving his life and injuring him in the process? Because he ended up getting sued, and they said costing the government millions. So $50 follow-up, why and how is the government liable for the actions of Mr. Incredible? 
So chew on that. Yeah. So it's not quite, I mean, throughout the movie several times, it seems as if the government, as if the superheroes are kind of endorsed or sanctioned or worked for the government. I mean, at one time, Elastigirl like borrows a government jet. And then there's this kind of shady black ops kind of smoking man character who like moves the, the Parr family around and kind of like, you know, puts them in like witness protection sort of style houses and families and like identities and whatnot so yeah i'm not really sure exactly what the relationship is between the the superheroes and the government but it definitely seems fairly buddy buddy like i can't imagine that being a superhero pays really well um and yet mr incredible drives around in this super fantastic futuristic car that can transform and so you know there's definitely a bankroll there but why why the government, I mean, I guess that you would sue, if there was a relationship between the government and their, the superheroes or some sort of government actors, I assume you would sue the government for any damages they cause. But, and this gets into, you know, superheroing in general versus the villains. Like, if you damage a piece of property in the act of trying to prevent further damage caused by somebody else, I'm not sure why you're suing the guy preventing the damage. Like, Mr. Incredible is trying to prevent further damage. He's trying to stop all this. He's clearly reacting to an aggressor. So why you wouldn't sue Bomb Voyage would is, is, is kind of ridiculous. I mean, other than the fact that he probably doesn't have any money, but he's clearly not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say if I was on the jury, I wouldn't find him culpable. He's clearly trying to stop it. And then in terms of the suicide, that gets into a sticky kind of wicket here. Um, there's a, uh, you know, it's all libertarianism and rights and whatnot. It really all boils down to what's reasonable. And if you're, you know, if you are drowning and the only way you can not drown is to grab somebody else's like beach ball and like whatever, you know, this is a dumb example, but you know, you're, and, but you're taking somebody else's beach ball. Well, you can kind of basically assume that were they around and were you able to ask them, Hey, do you mind if I grab your beach ball and to save my life? They would say, yeah, of course, I would definitely want you to grab and use my beach ball to save your life. Even if you destroy the beach ball, it's fine, whatever, who cares? Even if the beach ball is like a $10,000 beach ball, you'd still want someone to use it to save a life. In the same sense, you know, if somebody is in danger and, you know, you work to save them, like he does in the the train incident, like he prevents, like he, the the bomb blows up the, the train line and then he stops the train. Well, all the people on the train still ended up suing him, which is just like ridiculous. I didn't, I didn't find any of this to be particularly realistic. Not that... It wouldn't surprise me if it happened in this world either. No, especially if they so had just, hot hot coffee or something. Right. Yeah. People. Yeah. People sue people around here for their voluntary choices and all kinds of things all the time. It's completely ridiculous. I mean, crooks who break into people's houses and fall through skylights and land on kitchen knives sue the homeowner and they win. It's it's insane. It's a pure insanity. So. Who am I to judge if this is realistic or not? But I think that there is a certain reasonableness to, yeah, if somebody's falling from a building, that if you catch them and save them, they would say, thank you. Now, on the one-off chance that the guy's like, hey, I wanted to die, then you can go, well, why didn't you just kill yourself right after that? <laughs> why haven't you killed yourself yet? Yeah, it's wh been some why, time why since sue? I saved you. <laughs> why sue as a result when your goal was dying, then just go ahead and do that. Yeah, just, just go ahead and do that. Problem solved. Why are you suing me for a whole bunch of money that you're not even going to use because you're going to be dead? Makes no sense. Yeah, so anyway, that was the case that opened the door to superheroes being sued. 
and the government paying out money because there was apparently this quasi-militaristic symbiotic relationship that seemed to be rooted in patriotism and praise that um, was eventually actually used against Mr. Incredible to lure him to the island, right? Because Mirage sends him this message and she claims it's a government experiment gone wrong and this robot's destroying their equipment and putting things at risk, which was pretty much the same story that was happening with um, Deadpool, right? He was told that he was going to the super secret government lab to be turned into to eradicate his cancer or something like that. We did the Deadpool episode not too long ago. I, I, I think that's what happened. But yeah, that's what happened in that movie. Yeah. Go on. And then um, as a result of all these uh, lawsuits, the government says, okay, politicians finally do something and they're like, all right, we're going to ban superheroes. You can't have a secret identity. You can't be a superhero. You can't go around saving people. You have to be just a normal person, which is totally bullshit, right? Like preventing you from being who you are. Um, So, you know, the laws kind of get imposed on them and it seems like a really shitty situation. There's this like government program to relocate people and they're granted amnesty for all past actions in exchange for no future superhero action. And that's sort of what kicks off this whole story. But um, isn't that a very similar story to what happened in X-Men? Like there was a senator or something who's like, mutants are dangerous and they need to be outed and prevented from, you know, procreating or being mutiny. You can speak yeah, to this yeah. Later, I think right? a super, X-Men 3 had a, uh, like, they were going to turn the world's mutants into regular people. Right. And then, there, then there's, um, there's also the Superhero Registration Act which was in the comic books and also kind of in the Civil War movie. And wasn't there a thing in the Watchmen? Wasn't that kind of like a thing? Like Watchmen yeah, were absolutely. superheroes for a while and, and everyone was like praising them and how amazing everything was and then they got shut down. Yeah, pretty much almost identical to this movie. Although I don't know if it was because that they were getting sued, but yeah. I mean, but why wouldn't you sue the bad guys? Sue the people that actually do the thing that does the thing. I, I mean, clearly, I guess they're harder to get a hold of, but... <laughs> I, it just seems like you would you would you would sue the people that actually aggressed against you as opposed to the people that tried to prevent your property from being damaged. I, I, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then and then by suing the government, you're basically just suing everybody because the government just has stolen money. So I don't know, man. Yeah, and if if everyone sues everyone, then no one sues anyone, right? It's sort of like if everyone's special, then nobody's special, which is uh, foreshadowed by Dash and then the main crux of Syndrome's argument. And Syndrome's mm-hmm. an interesting character um, because he's an inventor and he exploits certain situations um, and he wants to sell these uh, superhero pieces of equipment after he's done having his fun, right? But he wants to become famous, so, you know, marketing style. He wants to become like this superhero that gets everyone excited, but then he, he basically wants to make everyone be super so that no one is super. And that's like an egalitarian idea to where you bring everyone to the same level. Now, when Marx and, and anarcho-communist types bring this up, um, they mean everyone, well, they intend for people to be on a higher level, like a standard of living that's like comfortable and, and they can do the papillon thing where they can write music in the morning and read poetry in the afternoon and toil the fields for a few hours uh, before evening, you know, things like that. But it ends up being like slave labor death camps and AK-47s. But that's, uh, you know, the ideal. And... I think that Syndrome is an interesting character because of this, because he's an inventor, he's an entrepreneur on one aspect, but then on the other aspect, he's doing some pretty shady, evil shit. And um, I think that that is a... I'm torn on him, you know, and, and especially because I like Jason Lee as a character, you know? But what are your thoughts on Syndrome? 
Well, for for me, I didn't understand why Syndrome's plot, his his whole plan was even necessary or could even ever possibly work. Because the movie doesn't do a very good job explaining why all of a sudden human superhumans aren't necessary. It's like the superheroes go away, and so do all the villains in the crime they fight. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. So the government bans superheroes, and super crime the whole time has been against the law. So where'd they go? Yeah, what are they doing? Where'd they go? Because Syndrome's plan is to create a giant robot that, you know, shows that the world needs superheroes again and to show that, you know, he's going to come in and save the day. Well, he, in the process normally of murdering a bunch of superheroes, be... per- perfecting his robot. Right, right. But you would think that without all the superheroes around to stop the supervillains, the supervillains would really just be running amok. And then he could just go out there and save the day. He wouldn't need to create this robot at all. But the movie doesn't explain why there are no villains anymore. And there's just Syndrome for some reason. Who, by the way, it, has amazing technology. Like, he can defeat all the Incredibles with his, like... Oh, with ease. ...finger pointer laser thing? Yeah, the finger pointer laser thing is beyond OP. It, you know, it, there's no counter to it. All he has, the only reason that the Incredibles survive is because he doesn't just straight up want to kill them, apparently. Because it looks like that, that, that re, whatever, zero-point energy or whatever he called it. Yeah, I mean, he's a Bond villain. You know, he's got a monologue. Oh, yeah. He's got to not kill them. He's got to put them in po- impossible situations. So they've got to get out. And by the way, they even have in the in the movie the soundtrack. The score is very Bond-like with like brass instruments and spy music. It's it's well done. So it had a good vibe. This movie. Not to mention his volcano lair. <laughs> Complete with like lava that flows down as a closing and opening door. All kinds of goons that are faceless so that when they die, we don't feel bad about it. Except for one guy, when Dash punches his face off, you can actually see his eyeballs for a second before he dies. Oh, speaking of that. That's one thing that kind of annoys me with movies, is that they always, always dehumanize the like foot soldiery bad guys. They're always wearing some kind of a mask so that when they die, we don't feel bad. Yeah, and speaking of dying, I mean, there is a lot of, like, death in this, which is a bit surprising for a a children's movie. You know, Pixar, animated. I mean, I'm sure it's, like, more of a older children's type movie, you know, 10 years old, maybe, 12-year-old. But, I mean, my kids watched it, and my three-year-old was like, well, she's almost three, uh, was like, oh, it's scary, it's scary. I don't want to watch this every day. And my wife was like, we're not going to watch it every day. We're just going to watch it this time. (laughs) And, Hmm. And maybe we'll go watch the second one on our date night. But anyway, um, it did seem like there was a lot of dark shit going on for a kid's movie. Like there were people getting chopped up in airplane engines, blowing up, crashing into the sides of buildings and and cliffs. Uh, Lots of shit happening. Yeah. I mean, there's no blood, but yeah, there's plenty of death. Usually in these kind of movies, yeah, like the, the, the bad guys will like parachute out as their vehicle explodes or something like that. You know, I'm thinking of like gi joe not the movie but the tv show cobra but in this movie yeah mr incredible just flat up flattens goons uh he he throws like a like a tram car on two guys he uh what else happens i don't know well dash you know like punches a guy before he flies into a cliff and his vehicle explodes i mean you know all the um the actions I feel are fairly justified. I don't know. Was there any action that like Mr. Incredible or any of them took that you thought was like unnecessary or immoral? I got to go with a no there, Bob. Um, you know, the whole time uh, Incredible was a prisoner and even with uh, Mirage, he threatened a crusher, but he couldn't do it. And he had every, I think, moral opportunity to do so. 
like he was her prisoner and syndrome was like oh go ahead crush her you know and that was like her turning point saying mm-hmm. wait he was willing to let me get killed and syndrome just was like oh i'm just calling his bluff baby you know and uh anyway i yeah i don't think that there were any moral questions that the incredibles failed at I mean, other than cozying up to government, I think that was a bit of an issue, but I don't think they understood that. Yeah, no, definitely. They didn't quite grasp that whole thing. I'm sure they think the government is the good guys. What did you think about the um, the insurance company stuff? In the very beginning, Bob's an insurance agent, and his boss is really upset with Bob explaining all the ins and outs of the insurance game to his clients. Exploiting every and loophole, his... penetrating the bureaucracy. <laughs> and his boss is like, Man, we got to think about the bottom line, buddy. We got to stay in business. We're not going to stay in business if you keep paying out claims. And then Bob's like, yeah, but these are like justifiable claims. Like these these people had legitimate claims. Except that old lady. The old lady, he said in paragraph 17, it says right here, we don't cover this. And then she gave this fixed income sob story and he ended up helping her out. So I think that was actually dishonest on Bob's part, because if it's clearly stated in the policy, he was going against that and giving her the inside scoop. Correct, but that still doesn't make it okay for him to throw him through four walls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that was a little bit rough. Yeah, so you asked me the moral question earlier about had the Incredibles done anything bad? Yes. Okay, now that you've reminded me, yes, he has done a couple <laughs> of bad things. Uh, one was defrauding his company uh, with the old lady, and then number two is of course assaulting and, and nearly killing his boss, who, by the way, was a dick. So I totally he was understand a dick. It. And somehow he survived being put through four walls. I don't think any real human would survive that, but I think you'd be paced. Your organs would be liquidified, but okay. Yeah, now I want to jump on this a little bit because, yeah, the boss is a dick, and in the old lady instance, it wasn't legitimate, the claim. But the boss was, I don't want to hear about what you know, whatever the insurance actually covers. I just want you to deny claims. And I think that this is only possible in a world where, like present day world, where the government provides monopoly protection to barriers to entry to competition. I think in a competitive insurance market, they couldn't get away with this. If they were denying claims, then people would hear about it and they would stop using that insurance company because other claims being paid by other insurance companies would draw customers over there. So I think this is clearly a position that is only empowered by government protection of this particular insurance company. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is the kind of situation that in a free market, in a true free market, we don't have one in this country nor really exists in the world, where this is solved by like Yelp reviews online or something like that. Yeah, there'd be a reputation score like, oh, they don't pay claims. Well, okay, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, I'm taking my business elsewhere. I'm taking my business to reputable people who pay out when there's a legitimate claim because that's the whole idea. You're in a, in a world where reputation is key, then, yeah, you're going to lose massive amounts of business, and you need to live and die by that reputation. And I think most people will think of the situation like that, that The Incredibles was presenting. You know, this is how insurance companies work. They're there to deny claims, and they're evil. And Right, but they're only getting the business if they have a good reputation. Right, in, in, in the real world. Or, I mean, in... Right. in um, the free market, you know, it would it would be even right. more reputation. Yeah. So I think they get a bad rap, but it's only because they have this cozy relationship that prevents. Definitely, they got the, the government that they can that they got the government that they can bribe to write favorable legislation that would prevent market competition that allows them this shoddy behavior. Right, and I, I love people who, who get upset about corporations taking over government by buying favors and and influencing politics with money. And the quip I have 
back is, well, if corporations are buying favors from government, it's because government has favors to sell. Yep. I mean, how are you going to prevent money from getting into politics? It's already illegal. They do it anyway. Uh, but I digress. All right. So I had a, a thing about the teacher, but we can skip that because we're getting short on time. But I did want to ask you this. Um, when they were in hiding, because we're talking about the insurance thing and... and 15 years later, they've got a family. They're living in this Frank Lloyd Wright-type mid-century modern house, which, by the way, I love that house. It's an awesome house. Um, they tell Dash to hold back, you know, because he, he would dominate in sports. And it seemed to me like it's a sort of a self-imposed reverse affirmative action thing going on. And I just wanted to throw that out because Dash gets upset about this, and he foreshadows the syndrome thing where he says, if everyone is special, then that's another way of saying no one is which is very similar to uh, the tragedy of the commons and public property, where if everyone owns everything, then in reality, no one actually owns anything because no one has the exclusive control to determine what happens with any given thing. Yeah, it's, it's participation trophies. It's, it's a nice little dig. It's really, this is a story about exceptionalism over this like forced communism or whatever, like exceptionally you know, like individuals over forced mediocrity. Oh, yeah, that was another thing that Mr. Incredible said. He's like, he's graduating from the fourth to the fifth grade. It's not <laughs> a big deal. Why does everything have to enforce, you know, mediocrity? Yeah, exactly what, what you were just saying. Yeah, that's that brings up a question I have for you, Daniel. Um, since this movie is really kind of Bob's story, I mean, I'd say that all the characters have kind of an arc and they all grow to a certain extent. But I would say really it's Bob who is kind of going through his midlife crisis, wants to relive the glory days and isn't maybe paying as much attention to his family as he should. And it's Elastigirl who's kind of snapping him back to it. Do you, did you see him in the beginning of the movie trying to live, relive his glory days and, you know, fighting crime and, you know, um, saving those people from the fire or, you know, going out and listening to the police scanner as neglecting his family? Because that's really her argument, is that if he's going out there and fighting crime in any way, you are endangering your family and putting them at risk, undue risk. So you're in a sense like a bad parent. Did you, what, how do you, what do you got to say to that? Well, that's an interesting question. I think that because he's pretty much indestructible, that the, you know, him getting, you know, like killed in the process and, and thus impacting his family in that way is less of an issue. And he's doing it at night after the kids are in bed or should be in bed. And I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of okay with him going out and doing it. I mean, it's sort of like subverting the government, telling him he can't do it. You know, it's in his well, what nature if, to do but that. I think she was afraid of him getting caught and exposed and them having to, like, pick up and move and relocate all again. that stuff, too. Yeah, I guess there's some risk there, but it's also, like, something that shouldn't be, quote-unquote, illegal. Sure. You know? So uh, there's, there's multiple levels. I mean, there's the level of, well, you're putting us at risk because the mafia is going to come after you if you get caught. Right. Right. It's like the father who deals drugs today. It shouldn't be illegal, but you are putting your family at risk. Yeah. Now, I think that situation is actually a little bit different because they're probably doing that to provide for their family. Whereas ja or uh, Bob Parr is out there doing superhero shit, not to make his family better off. He's doing it to make himself feel better by helping other people. Yes. But is he? Do you, my, my original question is, do you think he's a bad parent? No. No, I don't think he's a bad parent in this in this regard, though he does, like you say, have an arc where he thinks that he was a, not um, as involved with his family as he otherwise thinks he should have been, like when they were all chained up together in 
syndromes um, electro you know prison field, mm-hmm. and he's like admitting like oh you know I, I'm missing all the action that's at home like here. Well, my response to that is well you're doing this when your kids are asleep, so I mean what are you really missing? But right, but he's also there are also a, a, quite a few scenes where he's like you know not really paying attention. He's reading the newspaper for you know hot juicy like bits, staying abreast in the world. And, like there's some crimes to fight that sort of thing. He's not really paying attention to like the family, not really you know into what his kids are dealing with, that sort of thing. Oh, sure. I think that just comes with being in the, you know, routine and the mundane. Um, so, yeah, I can sort of see, like, that just being a natural thing, and then he gets snapped out of it due to the course of the events with fighting the robot and saving the world again and, and all of that. Yeah, I'd like to have seen, uh, <laughs> like, an epilogue to the movie where he's there's just having the humdrum daily life, but he's, like, just totally excited by it, and he loves going to his job pushing pencils and stuff. I I thought that the the humdrum boring stuff was actually you know fairly realistic. I could imagine being a superhero and living having been a superhero with superpowers, and then you become an insurance agent. Talk about a shift! How could how could anyone reasonably expect him to be super engaged and excited by that? I I think it, it would just pale. Not necessarily a family life, but just the whole job and the day to day. You know. Once upon a time, you were dressing up in tights and fighting bad guys and saving people's lives. And next year, you're just sitting at a desk pushing pencils. I, I could imagine that's a bit of a bit of a disappointment, <laughs> disappointing turn. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see the the next movie because apparently it's um you know picks up right where this one left off with the underminer showing up and drilling up from out of the earth and being like, "I've been underneath you this whole time, and nothing is beneath me." And it's John Ratzenberger, who, of course, is, has a small bit in every Pixar movie. Yep. He's in uh, all Cars movies. He's in Monsters. He's in... Uh, the Toy Story. Well, yeah, like you said. Nemo. Toy Story, yeah. He's the... What was the piggy bank? Yeah. And I think at the end of Cars, they actually make fun of uh, the fact that he's in all of them. Because uh, the cars in the closing credits are like at a drive-in theater. Yep. And they're watching all these movies. Like, and they're like, well, I think it's just the same guy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway. it's good stuff. Oh, and also about the underminer. Um, I have to mention this. Uh, if nobody knows, I'm sure many people know this, but I got to mention it anyway. Um, the underminer is a direct nod to the Fantastic Four issue number one uh, that came out in like the 60s with the very first appearance of the Mole Man. And he comes up out of the earth and he is you know, talking basically the same thing that the underminer says. He's got all these monsters. And then, of course, the Fantastic Four got to take him down. So that was just 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 a lot of fun little nods. Yeah, so what's interesting is when I was reading about this, um, Bird was claiming that he wasn't like a big superhero comic book fan, but it seems like he's picked up on a lot of these things and has deliberately made nods to them. So I find that kind of an intriguing question because in his interviews, he says uh, not not such a big thing. Um, well, I wasn't listening to what you just said because I was looking at my notes. Oh, that's all right. But I wanted, I wanted to mention one other nod is that... Um, one of the moments when the um, the family are fighting the big robot and uh, Frozone comes in to help out. And there's a point at which he creates a surfboard with his feet. And he looked very much like, you know, at that, at that moment, he looked like the Silver Surfer, who was a longtime um, Fantastic Four ally. So that was a fun other little nod. Yeah, and actually right before he um, goes out to help with fighting the robot, he's asking his wife where his super suit is. She's like... Mm-hmm. The public's in danger. It's the greater good. And she's like, I'm the greatest good you're ever going to get. <laughs> I am your wife. <laughs> uh, I thought that was funny because he was like, people are in danger. 
She's like, my, my evening's in danger. <laughs> my date night's in danger. <laughs> yeah, there's some good dialogue in the flick, man. I mean, Brad Bird, good script. I got to say, uh, this is probably, I think, my favorite thing he's done. He also directed a Mission Impossible movie. I don't know how much influence he had on the script in that one. Um, Ghost Protocol, but that was not my favorite Mission Impossible movie. But uh, generally speaking, the guy's a good talent, and I appreciate his dialogue and his effort in this movie for sure. Yeah, that, that brings up a, a, a question of, of mine is, should we do a Mission Impossible? And if so, which one? I mean, the first one seems to be like the one to do when we talk about doing a franchise, but certain films are better that are sometimes later on. Yeah, I mean, there's John Woo did two, but that's got its own ridiculousness. I mean, Rogue, all the ridiculous Rogue Nation is supposed movies. to be pretty good, right? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But there is, yeah, a new new Mission Impossible coming out. Tom Cruise is getting to be, what, like 60? Uh, Mid-50s. I, I, I heard there's a Top Gun 2 coming out, and, and we could do yeah. Top Gun at some point. But For sure. Yeah, I'm down to do all that crap. But speaking of doing crap, uh, the next movie I think we were going to do was Jurassic Park, if, if I recall. Is that right? That's definitely on the timeline. I mean, we've got, we got The Fallen Kingdom coming out, I think, next week. So, yeah, we should definitely do that. All right, well, let's hit that up. So next episode will be Jurassic Park. Uh, any last things you want to say? We're about, uh, you know, we're almost at our limit here. Uh, do you want to throw anything else, uh, any other notes? And then we can wind this thing down, do the final summary and review. Um, no, I think I probably didn't get to all my notes, but that's fine. I never do. So that's no big deal. But I did want to mention just how much fun and inventive and, oh, oh, this is the one thing I wanted to mention. Um, there's a really strong emotional scene in this movie for me. And I'm curious if it's as emotional strong for you as well. I break down into tears every time I watch that airplane scene. When she says there are children on board and there are missiles flying at it and she's like, disengage, disengage. Oh man, my heart goes out. I absolutely just can't handle it it's such a brilliantly done scene um i i wish they hey, showed a little bit more reaction of mr incredible he seems like a little bit i mean he's upset of course to the whole scenario but his reaction is just a little bit tame and he kind of like explodes later about it when he like almost kills mirage or what is her name is that Mirage? her name mirage yeah mirage yep. anyway the sultry anyway, but, uh, fox yeah but um Holly Hunter in the airplane scene was brilliant and it's just brilliantly made. And then shortly thereafter, when they're like floating in the water, I thought the dialogue between her and their children, like we are going to get through this. We're going to do this. I believe in you. You can do it, you know? And then the whole like, but you said never to, I know what I said. <laughs> Listen to what I'm telling you right now. <laughs> we need to do this. We're going to live through this. Oh, this is great. And then the inventive use of their powers. I thought Elastigirl was fantastic when she grabs that manhole cover and uses her body as a slingshot. And then Dash when he's like running up the walls and around and on the water. Uh, just all kinds of fun little bits that you can tell there was a lot of thought put into the movie. So um, I guess this is all just part of my summary and review. This is such a strong movie. If you haven't seen it, I don't know why you haven't. Um, check this one out and then probably check out Incredibles 2. I've heard it's just as good or almost as good. So this is like a, a strong 9.0 from me. Um, superhero movies don't get a lot better than this. I, I really enjoy the recent Infinity War. But if you're talking about a movie that hits on like almost everything it tries to do, it's got good emotional content, action, family drama, um, and then some interesting, like like Daniel was talking earlier with like the you know a decent villain who's not just some evil mustache twirling villain for the sake of being evil. He's got kind of a strong motivation. He was a spurned hero, a fan. He was a big fanboy who just wanted to be one of the cool kids, wanted to help out, 
and you know was told no thank you and he, he took rejection really really poorly <laughs> but uh yeah it's good real good so yeah 9.0 daniel what did you think of this fine film well that's a strong 9.0 on the richter scale from roberto there uh so you'd ask me uh, you know whether that emotional content and we do the uh, number of tears jerked and i think that there are quite a few that airplane scene is certainly emotional but the thing that really got me was after she saves them they land in the water she turns into a boat and dash is the motor for the boat and then they get to the beach they get to shore and he's obviously exhausted and she says i'm so proud of you that got me a little bit oh yeah so you know like big accomplishment finally using his powers like he had been held back right that that reverse affirmative action thing going on because of what his parents were like no you can't like expose your powers you can't show people that you know you're, you're like amazing and by the way brad bird he's, he was questioned about this on whether he was uh like shilling for ayn rand you know like objectivism and atlas shrugged and whatnot and he was like no you know uh, people might see that in this but i'm not doing that i'm more of a centrist is what he said so you know what take that for whatever it is i i, I for one am not on the political spectrum i, I i'm at a 0.0 level on politics <laughs> but anyway I digress. Um, but overall, the movie is is really strong. There's a lot of callbacks. There's a lot of foreshadowing. Everything kind of fits into its place, and it's it's super well done. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I look forward to this this next one. I don't know if it's going to get up to a nine for me, but maybe like an eight point eight. So real close, just you know, right there. Uh, and I think we are going to watch the next one during our date night for the anniversary with the kiddos. Yeah, baby. All right, well, I think that's going to do it for our episode of The Last Nighters on The Incredibles. If you haven't seen The Incredibles, go see it, and then go see the second one. Uh, it should be a good time. So you can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 24. And I want to wish you guys a good Father's Day. This is a bit of a you know father redemption type story. You know, he realizes his family is like way more important, and he should pay more attention to them, and I think that's a good message. And So happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Here, here. You too, Daniel. You're a father. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, yes, I am. And I wanted to throw one more thing out. Um, we did get some feedback on our most recent episode. Somebody wrote on our YouTube channel uh, on the Planet of the Apes episode that they took uh, our critique of Charlton Heston's acting as not being the best actor ever. Uh, he took it a little hard, and he, he listed a bunch of Heston's accomplishments, said he's a Juilliard-trained Shakespearean uh, he's very versatile and he's been in all these roles and, and all of these things. So he was really def defending Chuck. And I found that kind of, um, it, it was welcome, you know, but I don't think we were too hard on him. We were saying we, he was the boss, you know, he was a badass dude. Um, it's just, I think a different era, right? Like acting was a bit more over the top in the sixties and seventies, I think than it is now. And I think part of that is, is because there's this difference between being a stage actor and a film or tv actor right because on a stage you have to be more bellicose whereas in film you can be more minute like it's tiny little differences that get picked up on camera so you can be far yeah, more subtle and i think that absolutely. he was in between that absolutely i was going to make the same point that heston is a classically trained stage actor and those people you you have to be over the top and you really need to project your voice out in order to you know for the people in the back row to hear you <laughs> Whereas if you got a camera right in your face and the microphone right above your head, 
you can you know they'll pick up every single little movement every little twitch so yeah there's there's a big difference and he's definitely of the old school that um is really kind of dying out i mean you you see actors today that go to the stage but they you know they'll They'll have a fairly diverse background, but the stage, for the most part, is kind of a dying thing. Um, you know, I don't know if I mean it, things like Hamilton and whatnot still do amazing numbers, and but it's not necessarily, and it's a really great breeding ground, I would say, for larger things. But you can't say that plays make more money than than movies. I mean, that would just be silly. Movies have a much wider wider reach. Not everybody can afford a $200 ticket to go see Hamilton, even if you would want to see that thing. <laughs> Hated it. I haven't seen it, but I, I do not want to. <laughs> Hamilton is evil. But but yeah, to to our audience member who uh, gave us that comment, yeah, we're, we're not hating on Chuck. We like him. We think he's great. We just think he's trained a little bit differently. And if you want to see the exact opposite, where subtlety is on full display, check out our first episode of Last Nighters, lastnighters.com slash dash or slash one, our episode on Get Out. So subtle. Oh, yeah. So many, like, intimate scenes where totally, you know, the story is conveyed completely with very little dialogue. Definitely. But thanks for listening, everybody. It's been a fun episode. Check us out next week with Jurassic Park, and that'll do it for me. I'll chime in and say, yes, thank you guys very much. Happy Father's Day and good night from last night. And continuing the transmission, turning a couple of frogs gay for this Father's Day, talking about The Incredibles. That was a good episode, I think, Robert, so thank you very much. Um, what, anything we want to tell the actual Anarchy folks before we head off into the sunset? And maybe do a little Kathleen Turner Overdrive before my nerd group. Mm, just, I just want to thank everybody for listening. It's, it's, we keep coming back week after week to do the show because it's a lot of fun and we enjoy it. But hopefully we're, we're spreading a little bit of joy to your lives too, promoting the, the ideas and the values of liberty. I thought it was strange that in the movie there wasn't like at least one or two scenes where like some rando, you know, like there wasn't like a news story. It's like, what happened to the superheroes? Why aren't they gone? Why? Why? Man, my house burned down and there wasn't anybody to save me. What happened? Oh, right. Because it was a subvert government program that whisked them away. Right. But it was uh, fairly like they showed uh, some senator saying superheroes need to have only one identity and that's their normal identity. So I think there was probably like public political awareness of superheroes becoming a bad thing, right? Because there's this rash of suing them and that, be, you know, kind of snowballed and became a thing. Like, you know, those, yeah, but where, uh, were all the, house, home where were all the people shows? that got their lives saved by these people? Well, Why didn't they come to their defense? You if know, someone saved my life. Well, here's the thing. I would have been like, hey, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that guy. So leave him alone. They banned superheroes. Therefore, they also banned supervillains. And so, and it, because there's a ban, no problems. Everything's fine. <laughs> as long as you make something illegal, it goes away, right, Daniel? It's like banning guns, man. It, everything's cool. And it's like when they banned, it's like when they made murder illegal, and then we've never had another murder ever, ever since. Ever, uh, But you know what? Actually, this just popped in my head, but banning superheroes is sort of like banning firearms. For sure. Because sure, Absolutely. firearms can be used for evil. But even the CDC estimates that there are something between half a million and up to three million incidents of crimes prevented by having a per firearm year. per year. Per year. I mean, what isn't super about that? Indeed. And then you've Indeed. got, you know, uh, civil asset forfeiture is actually more dollars taken per year 
then all criminal activity? Private crime. Yeah, all private crime is outweighed by all public crime. And then uh, yeah. I've got other stats that uh, indicate that the even the amount of crime that's reported, people don't report certain things to the police because nothing ever happens. Like it, it, it's they're taking down the, you know, some notes and filing a report, but nothing happens beyond that. So people don't even bother anymore. And I think it's close to 50 or 60% of, of crimes are not even reported to the police. Yeah. And you got to ask yourself if these, if I didn't have to pay the police, would I, would I tolerate this level of service from anybody else? With no market feedback, if they do a shit job? I mean, would you, if the, if the police sold a product, would you buy it? <laughs> you know, how much would, how much do you think a policeman should get paid? How much do you think a shitty policeman should get paid? Oh man, I've got a great article on the site. Um, actuallyanarchy.com, search for Abolish the Police. It's a Rothbard article and it breaks down, you know, the public provision of policing and how because there's no market feedback and there's also no way to allocate the resources evenly among people, that it's just a total, you know, clusterfuck. And uh, so he highlights a lot of problems and, and it, it basically accentuates why there's an escalation in, in how... Uh, shitty the police can treat the average citizen now mm. because there's really nothing holding them back i mean when when they investigate it's internal affairs it's the police investigating the police it's sort of like when the government is taken to court and sued it's the government deciding whether the government can do what the government claimed it could do yep you know there's no separation of powers there's no checks and balances so anyway what are you talking about daniel that piece of paper prevents you know makes all the checks and the balances i'm allowed to rob you i wrote it here on this napkin <laughs> Oh, you want me to do some ritual? <laughs> That'll make it different? Anyway. Well, get me and uh, 99 of my friends, and we'll all get together and agree that I, we can rob you. Now is it okay? Robert, it's not rape. It's democratic rape. That's right. As long as 9 out of 10 agree, it's fine. Nine guys in a room with one woman, and we're all going to agree on what we're going to do tonight. And if one person dissents, well, we still got the majority. It's fine. So, so much for democracy. But anyway, let's, let's wind yeah, this one down. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're just we're going off on tangents here. We might do a little bit more of this on the Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which you guys can get a piece of if you go to actualanarchy.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash Reed Rothbard or readrothbard.com slash Patreon. We also have a bunch of other like affiliate type stuff. So if you want like cool things uh, that we promote, um, we've got a uh, read it for dot me, which is business books and summaries that take a 300 page book and summarize it down to a 10 minute like video and you get the gist of, you know, what the main points are. And so if you really want to, like, learn things and, and you're big into self-improvement, that's a really nice shortcut way of uh, gathering all that information. We've also got, um, we're not supposed to mention Amazon, but I will in, in one case uh, because I sell on Amazon via FBA now. And there's a training program that's put together by a guy, named, a guy <laughs> it's, it's Pride Month, uh, a guy named Bo Crable. And uh, you can find that uh, a review I wrote for that at black and dot gold slash FBA. And it's super good. Uh, it takes you through the whole, like how to get started, how to ship things in, uh, how to manage your inventory and all those things. So do check that out. And anything else you want to add, Robert, before we say goodnight and go potentially into some Kathleen Turner overdrive. I just want to mention how sexy everybody's looking tonight. And I want you to grab onto somebody you love and give them a hug and tell them how much they mean to you. And wish them your fathers and, and the fathers you know a happy Father's Day. And thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you on the next episode. All right. Maximum freedom, everyone. Peace out.
the chipmunks. C-H-I-P-M-U-N-K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do, 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 do